Welcome to All Things Vegas, nourishing self-care for the helping professional. During our time together, we will explore a wide variety of topics relating to self-care, all especially geared to the helping professional. Our guests are all thought leaders and cutting edge providers in their respective fields of endeavor. They will offer not only helpful insights, but practical skills that you can begin to use immediately. Hey, our guest today is Dr. Carolyn Ellis. She is a clinical health psychologist who received her doctorate in clinical psychology from George Fox University, and then her postdoctoral master's in clinical psychopharmacology from Fairleigh Dickinson University. She is the former president of the Oregon Psychological Association, has her own private practice, and also teaches graduate psychology and behavioral medicine for George Fox University. She has worked in a variety of medical settings and has completed formal training as well as professional development in the areas of trauma, chronic medical conditions, pain, and end-of-life care. So Carolyn, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really excited. I think, um, you know, certainly the topic of emotions is one that uh, a lot of people, I mean, we all have them, right? We all mm -hmm. have our emotions and uh, and we know that sometimes we can um, perhaps, I, I use the term, get hijacked by, yes. by them sometimes. And so I think the topic itself is so fascinating. And so if what I think would be useful to start out is to have you just do an overview of what we really, really um, understand emotions to even be. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So no, it's, it's very interesting. Um, when you look at what neuroscientists believe emotions to be, it's one of the things where, you know, we talk about what separates us from the rest of the right. animal kingdom right. is our ability to use tools. Right. But what's fascinating is actually the limbic system, which is the set of structures in the brain, um, that, you know, kind of comprise our emotional cortex. Uh, that's really, truly one of the most unique aspects of what makes us human. Um, so we, we believe that emotions are the result of this blanket of structures. And it's interesting, the word limbic comes from the Latin root limbus, which means border. Right. So what's fascinating is if you actually look at the limbic system, it's like this blanket on top of the older, more, you know, animalistic parts of the brain that bridges us to our cortex, which is our more sophisticated reasoning and thought. So I tell people all the time that emotions are the bridge from what, what truly brings us from animal to uniquely human in context. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great perspective. And I think also, um, it's also pretty humbling to recognize yes, that. Truly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's pretty humbling to recognize. Yes. And, and that's not to say that animals don't have emotions. Yeah. They do, yeah. but our emotions truly have mm -hmm. greater thoughts and behavioral attachments. Right. They're really, right. they're really quite sophisticated in really beautiful ways. Exactly. Absolutely. So one of the things that I think is really interesting is um, you had mentioned in some of um, our conversations earlier about this idea that there are actually components to emotions. Could you yes. speak to that a little bit? Because I think that's a fascinating way to look at it. Absolutely. So emotions in psychology are actually defined as this complex psychological state, and it involves three very distinct components. And we've all, we all know this aspect mm -hmm, of experiencing mm -hmm. emotion, but the first is something called a subjective experience, right? It, it's intimately personal. And the American Psychological Association actually feels that this is one of the most important natures of how we experience emotion. And subjective experience is, it's a constellation of our perception, our history, and 
and our interpretation and subjective experience of emotion is unique to every single person. So if you think about it, some people see the ocean and they're overwhelmed by this sense of majesty and this peace and they're so excited. Other people see the ocean and they remember that time in childhood that they went too far in and got overtaken by a wave and woke up coughing salt water. And so there's no such thing as a universally positive or universally negative experience. All of our experiences and all of our emotional context is subjective. Um, So, you know, each of us has our own emotional subjective way of experiencing things. I always joke with people. It's like, it's like hot sauce and spicy food. Some love it. Some hate it. (laughs) Right. Right. And then you look at uh, in terms of emotions, so it starts with that subjective And then there's a physical response to them. In fact, one of the most fascinating areas of emotion is that this tiny little electrical firing in the brain can evoke powerful and potent responses all over the body. It can evoke tears. It can evoke blood pressure changes. It can evoke us to form a fist and swing out with our hands. It's amazing that these little electrical firings can actually cause these broad physical responses. And emotions actually intimately tie themselves to our body's internal chemicals. Emotions are extremely chemically um, interrelated. They interact with oxytocin which is our bonding hormone, dopamine, which is our reward hormone, norepinephrine, which is memory and heart rate and attention, serotonin, mood and digestive system, and our body's own opioids. And one of the fascinating new areas of study is that we can and often do get addicted to emotions. Right. Because they tie in with these chemicals. Exactly. Yeah. And then the last one, which is the one that we all know, <laughs> is the behavioral component right. of emotions. Right. And yeah. if anyone has children, they know that children act out their emotions because they don't really have that lifelong experience of that subjective, you know, kind of interpretation. Right. Uh, So emotions cause us to do or not do things, right? Shame, embarrassment, excitement, happiness, sadness. Tell a child that they're going to Disneyland and you will see an outburst of different behaviors. So one of the things that we know about emotional expression is it's usually, again, it's subjective, it's physiological, but there are behaviors that we do associated with it. And often those behaviors are the the kind of most difficult areas for us to manage. But emotions evolve as do our responses and as do our behaviors associated with them. Yeah. So, you know, because we are really, uh, we're really focused here with, um, with this podcast, with this idea of how we best care for ourselves, yes. right? How we best care for ourselves. And so I think it's fascinating when we really consider the role that emotions play in how all of that, you know, how all of that ends up looking in our, in our day-to-day lives, you know, what, what is the, what is, what is it that we do that falls into that category? So one of the things I think that I want to come back to that um, you mentioned right at the very beginning, this whole idea of, uh, you know, the way that we view things, you know, the way that we view things has a, such a huge role to play in, and I would imagine how we take care of ourselves, you know, yes. how, how we view things. So could you say a bit about uh, what you might, uh, you know, see, see as being useful for someone who perhaps has kind of a, um, kind of a, a negative, I'm going to use a negative mindset as a, as a, it's kind of a absolutely and negative mindset really- is actually one of the words yeah. it, yeah. it is the language that we use so okay. you're absolutely correct fantastic yeah so there's actually a little exercise and act that I'd love to do with you which yeah, helps us great. to kind of understand this concept of what we call fusion which I'll explain right. 
but I'm going to uh, read off some some emotions and and some uh, some things for you. And what I want you to do, and and I'll ask listeners to do, is if you think it's a good thing, give me a thumbs up. Okay. If you think it's a bad thing, a thumbs down. And if okay. you're not quite sure, you can go ahead and wiggle in the middle. Um, but there are now emotions are like colors, right? There are thousands of them and there are also core emotions. So there's a lot of debate as to whether or not there's six, eight, whatever it is. Right. I'm just going to use a little sampling of emotions and I'll go ahead and say an emotion and thumbs up, thumbs down, or somewhere in the middle. Okay. So we'll start with anger. Yeah. <laughs> Fear. Uh, right in the middle. Joy. Yes. Love. And guilt. Yes. (laughs) Wonderful. Okay. Now I'm going to say some other um, kind of physiological, just normal everyday things. And I want thumbs up, thumbs down, or somewhere in the middle. Breathing. (laughs) Beating heart, heart rate. Going to sleep. Waking up. Or having a normal body temperature. So this is very interesting because the exact same thing happens in therapy over the thousands of times that I've done this. We have this distinctly kind of judgmental idea of what what emotions are good and what emotions are bad. And so we'll often do this. We'll go, I'm not sure about anger or fear is bad or guilt is bad or joy is good. And yet they are as normal and healthy and operational as breathing, going to sleep, waking up. So it's interesting that we have these physiological things that we consider perfectly good and normal. And then we have these physiological emotions that are 100% normal and ingrained in us that we have contextualized as bad. So one of the things that we, oh, sorry, go ahead. So I was just going to say, so kind of the upshot, if I, if, if I'm, if I'm, you know, I just want to make sure I'm tracking with all of this. So the upshot of this is, is that, you know, the question that comes to me is, so is there such a thing as a good or bad emotion or, or are they just are? Yes. And what we would say in psychology is there's no such thing as a good or bad emotion. They just are. Right. Yeah. And again, you know, now it, it's it's interesting because the concept of emotion management, it's it's a uniquely Western idea, right, to right. manage our physical experience. And I've asked thousands of people, you know, what are you hoping for from therapy? And the most common response I get is some variation of I just want to be happy. So we have this idea that we should enhance and continue positive emotions and we should diminish or subdue negative emotions until we have this persistently blissful state, right? Or this persistently right. positive mindset. And it's the root of monastic practices, self-help you know, books. We've, we've seen it everywhere. And don't get me wrong. These are wonderful things. You know, these positive psychology interventions and, and gratitude and soothing meditation, but emotions are not good or bad. They are. They're the woven interconnectedness of our experience. They, they incorporate memory, values, and who we are, and all aspects of them should be celebrated. To be angry can actually be a very healthy experience. If you see injustice and you are angered by it, it means that you value justice, and that anger is an impetus for you to change. And uh, if you feel love, or even if you feel hate or disgust, right, you know, I, I watch a child eat a vegetable that they don't like, and you, you will see a manifestation of that. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's good or bad. That's taste. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So this is not to say that we cannot moderate the behavioral expressions of emotions, right? right. We live in a world where I, I tell people all the time, you have to whisper in a church, you have to whisper in a library, we do have to learn how to moderate our behavior. But one of the first ways that we can really begin to healthily interact with emotions is to realize that they they just are, they are part of our biological and our experience, and they're truly wonderful things. And they're wonderful things that can be difficult at times. So I tell people, think of emotions like music, right? They have range, um, they have volume and texture and contrast. And just like your favorite song, if it's too loud, it hurts. Or if it's too quiet, you're not enjoying it as much. Right, exactly. So that kind of is a, I think it's, it's a interesting, uh, you know, just, just that part of our conversation this morning is a really interesting segue into this whole idea of, so, you know, when I'm taking care of myself, when I am doing the things that are the most helpful for me, um, you know, influence, how does that influence our ability to, to take these emotions at face value for what they, for what they are without judgment, which I'm going to guess also should hopefully go to us, not judging ourselves for having them at the same time. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and really embracing your experience Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as well. So there's, there's a concept in a, it's a, it's what we call a third wave behavioral uh, therapy, which is just our fancy way of saying that we've taken your traditional cognitive behavioral therapy and we've added more gentleness and philosophy to it. And so uh, Russ Harris pioneered this model called acceptance and commitment therapy. And it's really that manifestation of the serenity prayer, right? What do I accept? What do I change? And how do I know the difference? And so when it comes to emotions, right, emotions are, they are a part of our life and they are going to happen and they're going to happen in different intensity and variation. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that we tend to do as humans is we tend to fuse with our emotions and it is so incredibly normal. It, it always amazes me. I always joke that if I, I would never talk to someone else the way that I talk to myself, you know, I'll, I'll drop something and go idiot, you know, it's like, whoa, (laughs) you know, if someone else drops something in a hallway, I'd rush to help them. And here I am calling myself a name. So it's interesting if we make an error, right? It's very rare that we say, oh man, I meant to do differently, but I've just made an error. Usually what we do is we go, how could you do something so stupid? Right. Mm -hmm, right. Or, or again, that really harsh, like you're an idiot. Mm -hmm. And so we get into this place where we have an emotion and we fuse with it. The emotion becomes an expression of who we are. Right. So you get angry and you do something in anger and you are that person. And so one of the things that we talk about with introducing people to how to manage those big emotions is what we call defusion, right? We need to separate, detach. We need to get some distance from the intensity of that. We're not trying to change the way you think, but how you relate to what you're thinking. And so these are the moments where we actually say, we use the words, I'm having the thought that, Mm -hmm. and I tell this to people, I'm having the thought that I made a mistake. Right. Right. I'm having the thought that. Yeah. So it feels like if we can, uh, you know, take our, 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 it's, it's, it's almost like if I'm understanding you correctly here, this whole idea about fusing with our fusing with our emotions is really about it. They become our identity. Would that be a a shorthand version of, of that? Yeah. Yeah. So then, then it starts to make sense that when you find yourself continually, um, messaging that way, that, um, that, you know, beginning to work on changing that message 
Yes, right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and breaking yourself away from the intensity of it. Mm-hmm. Emotions are a color palette that we use to paint the world. They are not the final product. You know, so if you've is, ever looked at a color yeah. palette. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So and if you don't like it, if you use too much red paint over it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you, in, in the, in, again, you know, around the, around the, the topic of self-care and how we do, you know, because I think all of us uh, are, are really wanting to be the best versions of ourselves that we can yes. be. Right. And so, Uh, how do you, how would you suggest that someone start with the the process of recognizing that perhaps um, they've identified with something like um, anger or, you know, that they have become an angry person or I am angry. Um, So how, how would we start this process of actually defusing that you were talking about earlier? So in the beginning, it's truly the ability to identify the thoughts. Okay. And so, and it's the ability, to, you know, if you think about breaking down, do you remember when we were kids and we had to break down a sentence yeah. into noun and verb and yeah, all yeah. that? And you take a thought and you say, I am an angry person. Right. Right. And you go, okay, I'm having the thought that I'm an angry person. What makes me an angry person? What did I do? Mm-hmm. What did I say? Am I angry all the time? One of the things I say in anxiety work is the nature of anxiety. It's, it's so interesting because what we are afraid of is often technically possible, but not even remotely probable. Right. And okay. so we, we dedicate all this time and energy to something as if it's got a hundred percent chance of happening when it actually has a 0.00001 right. chance right. of happening. Right. And so we have these experiences and you look at the, the context of a day, right? 24 hours in a day and the 32 seconds that you acted angrily suddenly becomes who you are. Right. When the reality is it is a microscopic, you know, teeny tiny element of your daily mm-hmm. experience. Mm-hmm. And so that beginning is to identify the thoughts and to be able to say them in the same way that you say, you know, oh, I feel like chicken wings for lunch, right? You know, it's just, it's a thought. It doesn't necessarily mean it's true. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen. And you kind of break it apart. So the first thing that we tell people is the ability to just identify what they're thinking and they're feeling is huge. And we use a a process called body scanning, Mm -hmm. right? Where we just, we say, take a moment and just literally identify what you're physically feeling, what you're thinking, right? Identify if there's weight, if there's pressure, whatever it is, but take a moment to be in the experience and figure out what's going on. And we talk about like observational curiosity, right? Right. 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 And so diffusion is again, first it's identifying what you're fused to, and then it's beginning the process of breaking it apart. And, and once we, we, we practice this art of diffusion where you start to break it apart and you realize that these are just words and sentences and you can truly make them anything that you want, you start to do a process we call expansion, which is where you make space. So I tell people all the time, it's interesting. There's expansion is uh, such a sophisticated process and there's these body scans, but I tell people, I want you to start by thinking um, about like being on your bed and you have a bunch of big shaggy dogs that want to get up on the bed with you. <laughs> right? Right, right. And that's yeah. sometimes what our emotions are. They're big, dumb, shaggy dogs that really want to be on the bed with us. And it is not convenient right now to have this big shaggy dog on the bed. There's very little room. So one of the things that we tell people to do is sometimes you just need to shift your position and make space for it. Right. Like I'm feeling really angry right now. Okay. There's anger. Anger is the same Bernard. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to sit on your lap and he's going to stay there. Right. 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 And yeah. Um, yeah. 
So it, it feels like, it feels like, you know, it, it, and I, I really, uh, really, uh, really appreciate your coming to this, you know, like, well, this is really kind of a um, clinical version of the serenity prayers, like yes. being able to um, kind of gather yourself enough to be able to recognize that, you know, this is this feeling it's uncomfortable. I, I don't, I don't, I don't love this for some reason. Right. Yes. And then being able to um, find some kind of um, acceptance for what it is for yes. just allowing it to be. And then, uh, and, and, but I think most of all, what I think I'm hearing you say is, you know, a lack of resistance. Yes. Right. Yeah. So can you speak to that? Cause it feels like um, that that is one of the things, and I can just, you know, speak for myself that, uh, it, that it's really hard to not resist things that yes. we are trying not to do or make us uncomfortable. Yes. You know, it's interesting. I was actually, uh, I was walking home from school with my daughter yesterday and she said, sometimes when I cry, I get a really bad headache. Mm-hmm. And we talked about how it's when she's crying and she doesn't want to cry and she's trying so hard not to <sighs> cry. And she's putting all that pressure behind those tears and trying to shove them down that she gets that tension headache. And we talk about, you know, what would it be like if you just allowed the tears and you allowed them to pass? Maybe you wouldn't get the headache. <laughs> and it's this idea. We talk about a concept called moving toward and moving mm-hmm. away. Mm-hmm. Right. And this, this idea that because we have a negative context of emotions, because, you know, anger, fear, disgust, these things are theoretically or hypothetically bad, right? We try to suppress them. And when, you know, it's a well-known fact that if you push on something, it pushes back. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Take, you know, you go to any, go to any restaurant or bar and go up to a random stranger and push them and see what happens. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If, if you push on something, you're actually creating kinetic resistance energy and it will come back at you. And so this idea of creating space where you don't push on it means that it has absolutely no power to push back at you. And so what's amazing is we actually intensify the quote unquote negative experience of our emotions by trying to stop them. Right. And we, and all of us do this, right? All of right. us have bitten our tongue, bitten our lip, you know, yeah, go into the bathroom and you, you know, pull it together. And so one of the things that we say, you know, again, you're, you're identifying it, which it, it helps just to kind of describe it because it, it creates space to acknowledge the thing. You're not pushing mm-hmm. against it. Again, that expansion technique where, you know, create space on the bed for the big shaggy dog right. or right. shift your position. But as you start to observe it, you can realize like I can actually move in, I can lean into this experience, or I can actually lean away. Mm-hmm. Right. I can look closer, I can pull back. If you've ever been to an art museum, right? Sometimes you love to go up really close and see, wow, you know, look at that. You can actually see the brush strokes, or you pull all the way back and go, Oh, I didn't realize there was a bird in the corner. Right. 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 So this act, like you said, it's it's not resisting them, but also again, it's interacting with creating space and and beginning the process of leaning in or leaning mm-hmm. out and, mm-hmm. and seeing what they feel like. Yeah, exactly. So I think, you know, I'll, I think all of that, I, most I would get imagine that most of the people that are that are listening to this um, this broadcast 
would say, yeah, I totally understand that. It makes intuitive sense to me. And yet there is, um, and, and this may take us back to your, your very first um, description, you know, the, the three components of emotions, this whole idea of, you know, the, the, the stuff that the filters that we experience our emotions yes. through, you know, the, the subjective nature of them, that it feels almost like unless we can create a foundation of, I, you know, maybe neutrality is the right word. I don't know around um, our relationship with emotions that it feels like we're going to be fighting. Um, yes. And know, that's, yeah. It's that, yes, there's a, a little bit of a tug of war. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So can you speak a bit to the idea of, you know, so how do we go about starting the process of, um, becoming buddies with our emotions at whatever they are. Right? I love that. But yeah, becoming buddies with our emotions. So, you know, it's, it's interesting because again, and I'll, I'll make a nod to theoretical orientation in psychology, we have many different languages and many different mm-hmm. approaches. Mm-hmm. And right. so this, this is mine, but there are, there are thousands of others and they are not inherently good or bad. So right. find what works for you. But there's actually a therapeutic model called dialectical behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. And it was originally designed by Marsha Linehan for the treatment of borderline personality, but we are finding it's probably one of the most universal therapies. There, there are very few of us who wouldn't benefit from a little DBT. Yeah. Okay. But one, one of the things that I love in DBT is they take this kind of concept of, of oppositional spaces and they say, yeah, let's embrace that. Right. And, and they, they talk about we, cause we do, we pair emotions, right? Anger is paired with a certain set of behaviors. Love is paired with a certain set of behaviors. So sometimes what they say is if you find yourself feeling angry and you're, you're leaning into that and it's, it's growing momentum, like a snowball, you know, rolling down the mountain, it's going to be paired with a series of behaviors. And usually it's the behaviors that you regret. So what they'll say is pair it with love behaviors. Right. You know, and, and that's dialectical it's opposite. Right. But they'll actually say, you know, um, Marsha Linehan will say, if you're feeling incredibly morbidly depressed and you're feeling really, really down, she'll say smile. Mm -hmm. Right. And it, it just, the act of smiling kind of changes our chemistry and we go, wait a minute. Right. And so one of the things that we can do, if truly we're at the beginning of, you know, in the beginning, we need to recognize and examine why do I feel this way about certain emotions? And oftentimes you'll find narratives of childhood, you'll find, you know, family history, you'll find what you were taught in school, what you can and cannot do. You know, I went to a Catholic school when I was younger in Japan that many of the nuns were still Vatican one. So there was a whole set of rules and restrictions and regulations and how you sat and acted that was taught to me as a child. And so we kind of back examine. So it's cultivating that observational space, but sometimes what we can do is we can kind of break the pattern. Right. 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 And so we'll say to people, if you're feeling intensely angry, thank a person for helping you feel Right? right. If you're feeling really sad, smile. Right. And so you're breaking, like you're yeah. pairing it with something opposite and then you're saying what, you know, <laughs> and you're confusing the process. So again, you can examine thoughts and behaviors, or you can do things around thoughts mm-hmm. and behaviors that help kind of break those patterns. And that's the beauty is, you know, the old saying, all roads lead to Rome. Mm-hmm. If emotion is subjective, physiological, and behavioral, you can interact with any one of those domains, right? right. To change exactly. your relationship. Yeah, because I think that there is, um, you know, from my understanding of, of how this all plays out, is that there's a big role that the body plays, you know, the yes. physio, you know, the physiological, um, you know, the chemistry, all of the, you know, body positions, and you know, just what you are doing, 
with your body and how you carry yourself has a a huge role to play in how we go about that. So I think in that context, it starts to make some sense that, you know, if you do something opposite, like smile when you're angry at somebody, I mean, is that, am I on the right track? Yeah, no, you're, you're interrupting, you're interrupting the paired association. And then again, we, we tend to bundle, you know, we learn Mm -hmm. behaviors, we, we learn habits, right? You know, if you've ever been driving, you end up in your driveway and you go, oh my gosh, how did I get here? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's a, it's such a habit for you that it becomes automatic. And if you interrupt an automatic behavior, you've created new space to kind of observe and look at it. Mm -hmm. And so again, I, I tell people all the time, if you're not in a space, you know, it's interesting when, like I, I traffic in coping mechanisms, right? So I could, it's like my garage, it's full of useful tools, but when I need them, I'm not in the garage, I'm in the attic on a ladder and I really don't want to get down and go all the way downstairs and get my stuff. So I end up using what's in my pocket, right? We can talk about the most sophisticated tools in the world, but the tools that matter are the ones that you're going to use in the moment. And so sometimes for people, it is the act of saying, you know, I'm having a thought that and it's neither good nor bad. And this is just where I am. And for some people, it's something tangible, right? There are anger management courses that'll tell you stop and take 10 deep breaths if you're feeling angry, because the space between thought and action is what we call tolerance. And if you think and you develop a little bit of tolerance before you act, your action is always going to change. We all know the email you write immediately when you're upset is very different from the email you write a day later. Yeah, you don't want to hit. You don't want to hit send right away. No, on no, truly, no. Yeah, yeah. Do not put an address in that too. Yeah, do, do not. Yeah, section. yeah. And so this idea of again that there there are many paths to mm-hmm. overcoming this. So you can you know if it's cultivating deep focused breaths to lower your your biological response to the emotion, mm-hmm. right. you're going to alter your response pattern as well. So truly, it doesn't always have to be thought related. It can be action related. It can be physical related. But like you said, the core of coming to terms with and interacting with our emotions is to recognize that they're a a part, like I said, they're a color palette Mm -hmm. and there's no such thing as a good or bad color. There's just the color you need for the particular experience you're trying to accomplish. Right. Yeah. Well, I think that, I think it's really, I think it's really important. I, you know, I think step one, if I'm identifying this correctly is um, it feels like, you know, the, the basic need that we all probably could use some help with, or some, some uh, time spent on Mm -hmm. is this idea of really kind of decriminalizing our emotions and letting them just be what they are. And, um, I think the practice of that, and, and like you said, tolerating that space in between that might be uncomfortable. Yes. Absolutely. It's, it's interesting. Um, I, you know, I work with a lot of chronic medical conditions and people are often so grateful when you give their experience a name Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they'll say that, Oh, now it makes sense. Like there is a name for this and children, when they feel frustrated and tense and they don't know, you know, what's wrong. I don't know what they say, you know, I don't know. And and by the way, I say that so many times as an adult too. (laughs) Right. Right. I was going to say, and once we identify, I think I'm mad. And then we go, mm-hmm. oh, that's what it is, right? Mm-hmm. So the, this act of, again, like you said, it's not a decriminalizing and giving it a name and interacting with that space, right? And saying, this is how I feel. And it's interesting because, again, we've been taught one of the greatest stressors of the pandemic era has been on parents. I mean, truly parents are, are more stressed than they have ever been in American history, in our history of measuring parent satisfaction. Things have been the worst that they've ever been 
you know, not, you know, obviously we weren't taking surveys of, you know, right. medieval peasants, right. <laughs> right. but um, we're finding that. And a lot of that is related to, again, parents have extremely potent and powerful values that they have not been able to enact, mm-hmm. right? No parent wants their kid to be inside playing video games all day, but their kids were literally put on house arrest and there was nothing else they could do. So parents are feeling record levels of guilt, shame, burnout, and all of these negative emotions about not being able to act in the true parenting way that they wish to. And there's a lot of kind of self-judgment around that. And when you take a moment and say, these are the circumstances I've been in and I've done the best I can with what I have. And yes, I am feeling sad and disheartened that my kid has been through this and that I have been through this, but I am not responsible for it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's that diffusion, right? As I'm feeling an emotion, therefore I must be responsible for it. And that is, it, it's, again, it's, it, we live in a society of responsibility and, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And there are a lot of really wonderful aspects of the American ethos that are, you know, just tried and true of our history. And yet this is one of them that really hits us in the wrong way mm-hmm. because you're, you're not responsible for, you know, again, you continue to breathe at night when you're fast asleep, right? These are organic, natural, healthy aspects of being human that we have learned to judge negatively. Exactly. And so, yeah. And so the act of kind of removing it's that, that defusion, right? Pull yourself away. You're just having an emotion. You are not the emotion. You are not the outcome of the emotion. Right. Exactly. I think that's at the end of the day, I think Carolyn, that's, I, th- I think that's the message. Yes. At the end of the day, it's the message is that you are, you are experiencing whatever, but you are not that. Yes, exactly. You are experiencing this, but you are not that. Yeah, that makes it that just all of a sudden, you know, as you were, as, as I was listening to you say that, I just felt like, like blood pressure just kind of go, oh. yes. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you. Absolutely. It was great. Yeah. It's great for me. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. All right. Excellent. Well, I really, really, really appreciate your, your time today. It's um, great kind of getting this, this really helpful and really, I think, practical is the, is the most important thing to me, of course, always way of not only being with your emotions, but, um, working with them. Yes. So I really, really appreciate that. No, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to be here. Yeah. Thanks. All Things Vegas is brought to you by Western Montana Area Health Education Center, working to recruit, train, and retain healthcare professionals, and in partnership with the Red Willow Learning Center, working to make resilient skills available to everyone. If you have an idea for a podcast topic or are interested in sponsoring an episode, please contact Robin Mokey at robin.mokey at mso.umt. If you didn't catch that, check the program notes. Thanks so much for joining us.